0: and rightfully so you know there's some questions that are unanswered like what strength will it be when it makes landfall where will it make landfall i did a little reading this morning and there's something called the saffir simpson hurricane wind scale it was uh developed by herbert Saffir and robert simpson and it was introduced to the general public in 1971 they came up with it or in 73 they came up with it in 71 and they introduced it to the public In 73 and what they did is they rated hurricanes on a scale of one to five based on the sustained wind uh, mile per the mile per hour of the sustained wind Uh, no hurricane can be taken lightly but anything above a three a three or above they considered a major storm just so you know category one has sustained winds of 74 to 95 miles an hour and if you look at the if you look at the little definition on the NOAA weather chart next to a category one, it says, "Very dangerous winds will produce some damage." A category two, sustained winds 96 to 110. It says they're extremely dangerous winds, will cause extensive damage. A category three, sustained winds of 111 to 129, devastating damage will occur. Category four. Sustained winds of 130 to 156 miles per hour. And it says on the NOAA website, catastrophic damage will occur. Category 5, sustained winds 157 miles per hour or higher. Catastrophic damage, most of the area will be uninhabitable for weeks or months. Now, in putting the, this series together... The dates were assigned to the messages way back in March when I was at Ridgecrest, and I don't think it was a mistake that this message comes up today as we are dealing with this uh, as a country. Every life has periods of storms, and, and like the, the Saffir-Simpson s- uh, scale, they can be categorized. Everybody has Category 1 storms. These are just the pace of life. We live in such a fast-paced life that sometimes you don't know if you're coming or going. Be it your children's games, your grandkids' games, or whatever. Work, church, everything. Just the pace of life provides Category 1 storms for everybody in the room. Category 2 storms are the passages of life, and these add to the various... uh, these are added to our life by the various stages. You know, when you have preschoolers, that's a stage of life. When they start to school, when they're in college, when you're an empty nester, wh- whatever. The the various stages of life produce a state, a category two storm in our life. Category three storms are the unexpected problems of life. These are um, these are the things that everybody faces, and it seems like you get through one, and what happens? Another one hits, right? Uh, But everybody has problems, and so everybody faces category three storms. Category four and five are what I call the pains of life. These are storms that produce deep wounds, that feel like they'll never heal. Could be death, could be disease, could be a divorce. In our text tonight, we're going to see how to get through the storms of life. We're in a series called Chain Breaker, where we are talking about the, the chains that bind us and hold us back from being what God wants us to be, and tonight we're going to talk specifically about the eye of the storm. Take, take your Bible and open it to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. Again, I, I put this message together, or, or, or this outline together back in March, and so, uh, but the Lord knew that Florence would be here this week, and so... We're going to look at a passage where the Apostle Paul went through a storm while he was on a ship. Acts chapter 27. We'll read verses 9 to 15, and then we'll drop down to verse 27. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of, of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euryclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. Down to verse 27. Now when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms, and when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. God, help us to understand uh, the principles that Paul explains in this passage that Luke wrote down for us, that we might understand how to get through the storms of life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Why do storms come to our life? As I was thinking about that this morning, I came up with three reasons, I think, that, that storms hit our life. Sometimes it's because of self, right? I mean, we can all think of times when we've been in a storm and it was our own fault. It was our own making. We, we caused ourselves to be in the middle of that storm. Sometimes, though, it's not self, it's the Savior. Sometimes being in the storm is in the middle of the Lord's will for your life. Do you remember? Uh, On a couple of occasions, the Lord Jesus told the disciples, one time he told them to get in the boat and, and go across the sea, and one time he was in the boat with them, and both times storms blew up. When he sent them across the sea, I believe he knew the storm was coming. And so when they're out there in the middle fearing for their life, and he comes walking to them on the water, I believe that they were right in the middle of God's will for their life, and yet they were in the middle of the storm. So sometimes it comes because of self, sometimes because of the Savior, sometimes storms come because of others. You know, it's not not that we do anything wrong, it's not that God necessarily wants us to go through a storm, but sometimes we are affected by the choices and the decisions that other people make. We happen to be in the same ship with somebody going through a storm, and so we suffer the consequences with them. That's the kind of storm that I think Paul was in. I don't necessarily think it was God's will. Um, not because of anything Paul did. In fact, the text tells us others were impatient. They wanted to go ahead and set sail, and they did so when they shouldn't have. So first, there's three things tonight. First, let's talk about the accelerators, storm accelerators. There are things that cause storms to, to uh, pick up pace in our life. Let me just point them out to you because they're very practical, and they're, they're in the text. One is listening to the wrong people. If you listen to the wrong people you're going to find yourself in a storm pretty quickly. Paul warns them. He says, guys, if we go, I perceive this is not going to end well. We're going to lose the cargo, we're going to lose the ship, and a lot of us are going to lose our lives. But did you, did you catch it when we read it? It says the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship. There were two voices that day. There was the voice of God through Paul telling him, hey, don't go. And then there was the voice of man through the helmsman and the owner of the ship who said, oh, we got this, we can do this. And so they listened to the wrong voice. Sometimes we get caught in a storm by listening to the wrong people. It's amazing the number of experts there are that want to give you life advice, isn't it? And oftentimes it's unsolicited. They just say, here's what you ought to do. You ever thought about the word expert expert? It's kind of like the word politic. You know, poly means many, and "ticks" means bloodsuckers, and so politicians are many bloodsuckers. Well, experts is the same way. Ex means has been, and spurts means uh, uh, drips under pressure. And, And so experts are has been drips under pressure, okay? You don't need to listen to them. They want to give you advice. Listen to the voice of God and not the voice of man. All right, you get, into, you get into a storm quickly if you listen to the wrong people. The second thing is following the lead of the wrong people. Not just listening to them, but following their lead. Look at, look at verse 12. It says, the majority advised to set sail. They took a vote of sorts. All right, guys, who, want, who thinks we ought to set sail? And the majority said, hey, we need to do this. We can never assume that the majority is right. You can't make that assumption. How many times in Scripture was the majority wrong? The spies voted 10 to 2 not to go into the land because there were giants in the land, and we can't can't beat them. They were so busy looking at how big the men were, they forgot how big their God was. So the majority was wrong. The majority said, hey, give us Barabbas and crucify Christ. Even though that was God's plan, the majority was still wrong. God was going to do salvation for us, but, but if you're making a choice between Barabbas and Jesus, it should have been a no-brainer. And here, let's set sail. That was the wrong thing. The majority was wrong. You know, if God has a plan for your life, and he does, I have found that a lot of people have plans for your life as well. Um, you, hear, you ever heard, well, everyone's doing it. If you're a parent, you've heard that. Everyone's doing No, the only thing everyone's doing is breathing. Okay, everything, everything else, not everybody, is doing it. Even if a large majority is doing something, doesn't make it right, just because they're in the majority. So we get into storms from listening to the wrong people, following the lead of the wrong people, but there's a third accelerator. Learning from the wrong circumstances. Learning from the wrong circumstances. In verse 13, the gentle southern breeze begins to blow, and, and it says, I like the way that it puts it, now, when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had attained their desire. So they see the soft south-southern wind blow, and they think, see, told you. They were looking at their circumstances, and here's this gentle breeze, enough to fill the sail, take the boat along. And so they assumed that everything was good. The circumstances seemed favorable. Circumstances can change in an instant, can't they? sitting in the doctor's office just a routine checkup he comes in and says i have news for you like that it changes been married for years spouse comes home and says i'm done changes in an instant if if we look to the wrong circumstances circumstances can deteriorate quickly They may look favorable, but we should wait on the Lord. Listen, don't let your circumstances make you overly optimistic. Don't let them make you overly pessimistic. Put your faith and trust in the Lord and wait on Him. So, sometimes storms accelerate because we listen to the wrong people, we follow the wrong lead, and we learn from wrong circumstances. Let's talk about the second thing, storm aftermaths. There are some negative things, and there are some positive things that I want to point out to you, okay? First, let's talk about the negative aftermaths. Number one, they begin to drift. Look in verse 15. It it says drive. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. Some of your translations say drift. That's really the meaning of the word there. The ship began to drift. They were unable to steer it with the rudder, and so they just let go, and they let her drift. Now, they had no compass back then. They navigated by the stars, and we're going to see later on in the text that they couldn't even see the stars. So they had no way of knowing where they were, nothing to fix their position. They were lost. I related that today as I thought about that. You know, sometimes we get into a storm, and that's uh, that's exactly what happens. We just drift. The storm gets bad, and so we think, well can't do much about it and so we don't pray about it we don't look for a solution to it we don't um we don't ask the lord we just drift um we're not seeking his wisdom chances are some of you here tonight are in that group you in essence have given up and you're just going wherever the wind blows you Maybe, maybe you feel like you can't see to navigate. You, you can't make sense. You don't, have the, you don't have the ability to see the stars, so to speak. You can't sense the Lord, and so you don't know how to, to navigate, and you, you're adrift, and the storm of life is tossing you to and fro. Sometimes we forget where we're headed, and we just give in to the storm. We're headed to a land that's fairer than day. But we can begin to drift. The second thing they did, the second negative, is they begin to discard. Look at verses 18 and 19. Because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. So in verse 18, they begin to throw the cargo overboard. In verse 19, they're throwing the tackle overboard. Verse 21, when it says they hadn't eaten for 14 days, implies that they had even thrown the food overboard, and now they're ready to throw themselves overboard. You know, in a storm, sometimes we're tempted to throw out things that are necessary to our life. We we get into a storm, and for instance, we discard the values we learned as a child. We discard the values that we have as a child of God we discard serving god we we say things like well it's just not worth it you know if kind of like kind of like job's friends idea you know if god if, if this is if i'm serving you and this is the way i get treated then it's just not worth it I, i'm not going to do it anymore and we all know people who have made decisions like that we discard hope we despair and believe the lie that life will never be any better And so we just discard hope. We discard our belief that God loves us and that God cares for us. We discard our belief that he knows where we are and that he wants to help. I've known a lot of church members through the years that get into a crisis. And what happens? Well, the first thing is they quit giving because, all right, God, I'll show you. I'm just going to hold my money. And then the next thing you know, they quit serving. They back away from all of the jobs they hold. And then they quit attending, quit, quit worshiping, quit praying, quit reading their scripture. They, they discard all of the things, all of the ways of God. Friend, that is never, ever the right thing to do. Don't discard the things of God. During those storms, that's when you need to cling to them the most. And yet, those are the things that we often let go of. And, and, and when we discard the things of God, we're perpetuating the storm not trying to solve it. We're actually making it worse. Listen, you may not believe this, but there are times when even the preacher don't feel like being in church. There, I said it. But I have found that it's the times when I don't feel like being here that that's when I need it the most. That's when God is going to speak truth into my life and the enemy knows it and wants to keep me from that truth, and so he does everything to discourage me to keep me out. And, and he's done that in your life. Some of you know at those, at those times, you, some of you don't know because at those times you didn't go, but, but when you did force yourself to go and you didn't feel like it and God did something great in your heart, you know what I'm talking about. That when you don't feel like it, that's when you need it the most. You know, in the storms, we're often tempted to discard our dreams, to discard our relationships. You remember what Jesus said at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount? The last two verses of the Sermon on the Mount read this way in Matthew 7. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell And great was its fall so what is the sand for us if we build our life on life circumstances if we build our life on the majority opinion if we build our life on worldly advice man when the storms come the house is going to fall it's a house of cards and what happens then is we discard all of the things that were of great worth to us so they drift they discard let me give you the third a negative aftermath, they begin to despair. Look at verse 20. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Can you imagine 14 days with no sun, no moon, no stars? I mean, he says it was dark. They couldn't see. The the, the storm clouds were that dark and so you got this this basically tiny ship it's not big by today's standards in the mediterranean in the middle of a great storm that's been going on for not days but now weeks kind of makes gilligan i thought you know this makes gilligan's island it makes makes it look um like an easy storm based on what these guys were going through um you know it could be that there are some of you here that are like this you you've reached the point of despair, circumstances have got you to the place where you feel hopeless. You feel like giving in. There's no hope for fill in the blank. There's no hope for my life, no hope for my marriage, no hope for my health, no hope for my happiness, no hope for my peace. Friend, there is always hope with God. Some of you have likely forgotten that. I remember as a seminary student when I was diagnosed with that blood disease and, you know, the doctor was talking about one out of ten people die from it and, and, and I remember sitting there and, and I knew the answer to it, but I went ahead and asked the question anyhow and it took a secular doctor, he may be a Christian, I don't know, but, but it took him to kind of snap me out of it. I looked at him and I said, is there any hope? And he said, there is always hope. And that's always resonated with me. That doctor told me that. And so I tell you tonight, there is always hope. Now, there's some negative aftermaths. When, you're, when you've been in a storm, if you're not careful, you'll begin to drift. You'll discard the things that are valuable to you, and you'll lose all hope and despair. But let's talk about some positive aftermaths. What are some positives that can come from a storm? First one is storms can grow character. Now, we know how the story ended. Do you think the character of the men on the ship changed? They started out prideful. Oh, we got this. Don't listen to Paul. He's just negative. He just doesn't want to go to Rome. Don't listen to him. So they start out prideful, and then, I believe by the time that it's over, they, they are humbled. In my life, it's often, take a, it's often taken a painful experience to make me change my ways of thinking. Painful experiences humble us, don't they? Makes us realize that he's God and we're not. And uh, those painful experiences teach us to trust God completely. We rarely change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. Do you understand that? We don't change when we see the light. I mean when things are clear, fairly clear, and you can see we don't change we change when we feel the heat when it gets turned up on us that's when we change it grows our character now character growth is not a by and it's not a listen to me it's not a natural byproduct of storms it doesn't just happen because every one of us knows those who have been through storms that made them bitter right storms are either going to make you better or bitter what's the difference between better and bitter one letter i it's the only difference and 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 you you have you have to make a choice are you going to allow god to shape your character and make you better or will you be bitter a second positive is storms clarify priorities they clarify our priorities Verse 18, they took such a violent beating, they begin to throw things overboard. And, and they're trying not to sink. They're trying to save themselves. And, and so imagine, just a few days before, I tried to, I tried to imagine them with my, with my mind, them loading the ship with crates of stuff. Don't you think they were probably careful? You know, Be careful where you put that. Put that over here, put that here. So they handled it with great care, and now, I mean, they're just chunking stuff overboard. They're doing whatever they can to lighten the ship to save their lives. Why? Because storms clarify priorities. They help us understand what is important. Yesterday was the anniversary of 9-11, and if you were, if you were a churchgoer back 2001, 9-11, if, if you were, you know that, man, the churches were packed after 9 11 for a few weeks why it it wasn't it wasn't just because folks were looking or seeking answers storms clarify priorities and folks begin to think about life and death and begin to think about god and and that's why they went to church it unfortunately it didn't last very long but they went nonetheless the storm helped clarify it helped them focus on what's really important so when the storm passed So did their concern for the will of God for their life and the ways of God for their life. Let me tell you one more positive. Storms can strengthen relationships. It can strengthen relationships. Look in verse 30. We didn't read this, but I want you to see it. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, some of the crew drops a lifeboat. And they decide, we're going to abandon ship. Verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Boys, you are cutting your own throat if you get into that lifeboat. Verse 32, then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. They listened to Paul, so they cut the ropes and the lifeboat is gone. In the middle of the storm, Paul says, hey, you have to stay on the ship. There's a great application for our life here in Paul's words. Because, listen, when when storms come, you have to make a a decision before the storm hits that you're going to weather it. If you wait until the storm hits to to make a decision to weather it, you probably won't. All right? You know, it's kind of like when you talk to your teenagers, you know, don't, Don't make a decision about sex when you're in the backseat of a car on a place where nobody's around because you probably are going to give in to temptation. Make the decision before you ever go out on the date, before you ever get close. In our relationships, in, in, in marriage, storms of life will tear us apart or pull us closer together. What's the key? The key is one word, it's Commitment. You make a commitment, just like these guys did, to stay with the ship. They cut the ropes, why? So that they wouldn't be tempted later to get in the lifeboat and get away. There was no lifeboat. I mean, we're staying with the ship. That's all we have. 33 years ago, Jan and I were at First Baptist Church, Wentzville, Missouri, and we stood at an altar. And we said, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. We made a commitment to stay that day, and we cut away the lifeboats. We said, this is it. Storms are going to come, but when they do, we're not going to escape. We're going to try to work through it, make a commitment to get through it together. I, I read this today, and I loved it. To get on the love boat, you first have to cut away the lifeboat. I think there's some truth in that. Remember the intro, we've been, through the, we've been through the pace of life. We've been through the um, passages of life. We've been through some of the problems and pains of life. But we determined we'd get through it. Why, why do soldiers get back together for reunions? You know, Leroy used to always want to go to his reunion with all of his World War II buddies. Why do soldiers do that? Because storms strengthen relationships. When you've been in a foxhole with somebody... And you come out on the other side, it's a meaningful relationship. Paul said, stay in the boat or you'll lose everything. And then he says one last thing in verse 29. He says that they dropped four anchors. To try to keep the ship stable, they dropped four anchors. And I think for us to weather storms in our life, we need some anchors. Let me give you the anchors. That will stabilize your life first is the anchor of god's presence look at verse 22 paul says and now i urge you to take heart how do you think that played i mean it's just as stormy as it's been for 14 days and paul's standing out there on the on the deck in the midst of the storm and he says boys take heart one translation says be of good courage For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And they're like, well, only the ship. Well, that's great. We don't want to lose the ship either. But in the midst of the storm, Paul is cool as a cucumber. How? How is he like that? The answer is in verse 23. For there stood by me. Now, if you underline in your Bibles, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, and you got your Bible open, underline those words, by me. Because it's pretty significant. Paul says, and there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. He hung to, he clung to God, the, the anchor of God's presence. Hasn't God promised us in Hebrews thirteen five? for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the words there mean to abandon or one was a nautical word which mean to let sink. He says, I'm not going to abandon you, and I'm not going to let you sink. How many times in Scripture were people in a a crisis, and God showed up in some form or fashion? Moses, 80 years old, and God is is calling him to his most significant life's work. God shows up in a burning bush and talks to him. Daniel is, is thrown into the lion's den for praying God shows up and closes the mouths of the lions so that Daniel gets a good night's sleep. The three Hebrews are in the middle of the fiery furnace, and there's a fourth one in the furnace with them. Nebuchadnezzar says, His feet are like unto the Son of God. In, ver- in Genesis 32, Jacob wrestled with God. Gideon, the an- it says, the angel of the Lord, which was most likely. Uh, uh, a a old testament manifestation of jesus that's typically what it means when you see the angel of the lord in joshua or when he appears to gideon and he he calls gideon you mighty man of valor you mighty warrior and gideon's like me god often shows up in times of crisis. listen if you're a christian you listen you never have to pray for god to be with you do you understand that That's one prayer you don't ever have to pray if you're a believer, God be with me. Now you may have to pray, God let me know your presence, because you may not feel like he's there, but he's promised, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you, and so he's always there. We may need to pray for him to give us strength, but we don't need to pray for his presence. No matter the level of the storm, the category of the storm, he's with you. You can, rather than praying for his presence, you can thank him for his presence. Now, having said that, I know for some of you, God feels like a thousand miles away. For some of you, you're like, yeah, but preacher, you just don't understand. You can't feel his presence. No, you can't. But... Spiritual maturity doesn't depend on feelings. It depends on the fact of God's word. And he has said, I will never leave you. Your feelings will tell you you're alone, but the fact is, he says you're not. And so you have to make a decision. Am I going to trust my my feelings or am I going to trust the fact of the word of God? For me, it's a no-brainer, but you have to make the decision for yourself. You remember the three causes of the storm? Even if you caused it, he's with you. Even if you're in the middle of the storm because of some poor decisions you made, he's with you. Don't depend on your feelings, depend on your faith. Depend on the fact of God's word, the anchor of God's presence. Secondly is the anchor of God's people, verse 24. Saying, do not be afraid, Paul. This is what the angel said. You must be brought before Caesar And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. The entire ship was saved because of a godly man that was on board. Because Paul was on board. What do we learn from that? The safest place to be in the middle of a storm is with God's people. I mean, those guys were with God's man, and they were saved because of it. And so when we're in a storm, we often run from the church when what we need to do is draw near to the church. That's the best place to be. Not with perfect people, but with godly people. People that are seeking after God. That's why you need a church family. That's why you need to be in a small group. People that are going to do life together with you. That are going to go through the storm. There's going to be category four and five storms in your life. The pains of life that you're going to go through. God says he'll be with you, but you also need some people to walk with you. We're in the ship together doing life. don't have a church family, you 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 need one, and there's a lot of good ones around here. We'd love for you to be a part of Eastwood, but, but you need to be in a church family. You need to be in a small group. So the anchor of God's people. Let me tell you the third anchor, the anchor of God's purpose. Again, in verse 24, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. God God says, listen, don't be afraid, because you and I both know you have to go to Rome because you have to stand in front of Caesar. And in essence give your testimony some of you can't see your way out of the storm and god says i got this i got it he's telling paul no storm could change god's purpose for his life i don't care how strong the wind is blowing in your life god has a purpose for you psalm 33 if you're in a storm you may need to write this verse write this reference down the plans of the lord stand firm forever the purposes of his heart through all generations friend his will is going to be done in your life and so the storm's not going to change that you can hold to the promise the anchor of his purpose listen god knew his purpose for your life before you were born do you know that I mean, do you remember that? We talked about that a few weeks ago in Jeremiah chapter 1. He tells Jeremiah, he says, I have ordained you, I have appointed you a prophet to the nations before I placed you in your mother's womb. He had a purpose for his life even before he placed him in the womb. God has a purpose for your life, and you need to cling to that. In fact, God often uses storms to help us fulfill his purpose, not to derail his purpose the last anchor and i'm done the anchor of god's promises look in verse 25 therefore take heart men for i believe that i believe god that it will be just as it was told me paul explains listen i got a word from god and i believe god's promise he gave me a promise and i'm gonna take his promise to the bank friend this word is filled with promises and you can take every one of them to the bank Not one of God's promises will he not keep. I don't know what storm you face tonight, but I do know this, you'll make it. You're going to survive. I don't care how dark the clouds are. I don't care how hard the wind is blowing. You're going to make it out. You may lose some cargo. You may even lose the ship. You're definitely going to get wet, but you're going to make it through it. Some of you here tonight, you came for this one verse that i'm about to give you this verse is why you're here tonight you ready jeremiah 29:11 for i know the thoughts and that word in the hebrew is literally plans god says i know the plans that i think toward you says the lord plans of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope god has a plan for your life and you can claim that promise that it's going to happen i remember when leah was small and we had moved to south carolina to pastor our first church and you know, storms come through there the way they come through here. You have these big thunderstorms, and we had these big tall pine trees in our yard, and you never you felt like they were going to fall over at any time. And I remember one, one night the storm was blowing outside, and she was four years old. And I mean, there was a huge clap of thunder, and the next thing you hear are them little feet. And, and so I remember getting up and, and going back and, and going to tuck her back in, tuck her back in, and, and here's what she said. She said, Daddy, stay with me. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because there's a message there. When we're in a storm as adults, what do we often say? God, take the storm away. Make it stop. Maybe the reality is we should just know his presence amidst the storm and weather the storm with peace. Christian Sunday school class was uh, children's Sunday school class was studying Hebrews thirteen five. God has said, "I'll never leave you nor forsake you." and And the class was asked, "What does that mean? What does that verse mean?" This little boy raised his hand. And he says, "It means when there's only one of us, there's really two of us." That's what it means. Tonight you may feel like there's only one of us, but in reality, there's two of us. Father, I thank you for your word that um, we see how Paul got through the storm and how many lessons we can learn from it. God, What a practical passage for us as believers today, how we can face the storms of life and make it through and the things that we can learn and the things that we should learn both negative not to do and the things that are positive that we can understand of how those storms might help us in our walk with Christ. God, I pray tonight that that we'd do business with you. That tonight we would confess to you that we are going to cling to our faith and not our feelings. We're going to cling to the facts of your word and not our feelings. God, I pray tonight that you would raise the cloud cover for some, that you would ease the wind and that they might know in a very real way your presence in their life tonight. Lord, be pleased now with our obedience, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.